0: And David came to Nob, to Ahimelech the priest, and Ahimelech came to meet David trembling and said to him, Why are you alone and no one with you? And David said to Ahimelech the priest, The king has charged me with a matter, and said to me, Let no one know anything of the matter about which I send you and with which I have charged you. I have made an appointment with the young men for such and such a place. Now then, what do you have at hand? Give me five loaves of bread or whatever is here. And the priest answered David, I have no common bread at hand, but there is holy bread, if the young men have kept themselves from women. And David answered the priest, Truly women have been kept from us, as always when I go on an expedition. The vessels of the young men are holy, even when it is an ordinary journey. How much more today will their vessels be holy? So the priest gave him the holy bread, for there was no bread there but the bread of the presence, which is removed from before the Lord to be replaced by hot bread on the day it is taken away. Now a certain man of the servants of Saul was there that day, detained before the Lord. His name was Doeg the Edomite, the chief of Saul's herdsmen. Then David said to Ahimelech, Do you have not here a spear or a sword at hand? For I have brought neither my sword nor my weapons with me, because the king's business required haste. And the priest said, The sword of Goliath the Philistine, whom you struck down in the valley of Elah, behold, it is here wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. If you'll take that, take it. For there is none but that here. And David said, There is none like it. Give it to me. Then David rose and fled that day from Saul and went to Achish, the king of Gath. And the servants of Achish said to him, Is not this David the king of the land? Did they not sing to one another of him in dances? Saul has struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands. And David took these words to heart and was much afraid of Achish, the king of Gath. So he changed his behavior before them and pretended to be insane in their hands and made marks on the doors of the gate and let his spittle run down his beard. Then Akish said to his servants, Behold, you see the man is mad. Why then have you brought him to me? Do I lack madmen that you have brought this fellow to behave as a madman in my presence? Shall this fellow come into my house? And so ends the reading of God's word. Let's ask the Lord to bless our time together. Father, thank you that you speak to us through your word. This is your inspired word breathed out by your own mouth given to us by the prophets and the apostles. It is true in every way it is good for us. In every way it is a blessing to our soul, but we need your spirit to open our ears and our hearts and our minds to receive it as you would. We need you to uh, give us the power to hear your voice even as we study your word. We pray that you would do that, that you would reach our hearts with your word, that you would reclaim us for yourself and fill us with the hope that is ours in Jesus Christ. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. There is a wonderful honesty to the word of God. We do not come to scripture as though who judge or critique it. When we come to God's word, it judges and critiques us, it exposes the thoughts and intentions of our own hearts, and often the way that it does that is by showing us the faults, the failings, the weaknesses of the very men and women that God's Word holds up as examples of those people who have been recipients of God's grace, of those who are walking by faith. And and such is what we have in our passage today. When you find yourself diligently seeking to honor the Lord and everything in your life, honor and be pleasing to men, the men and women in your life, seeking to honor them, to do what is right, as the best of your ability... But then you look at the circumstances around you and the results that come about as a result of your diligent labors, your faithfulness, and and the results don't match up to your effort. How do you respond to that? What is it that you do in that situation? Such was the, the case for David. David was a man of faith. He was a man of God he was a man after God's own heart he was a man set apart by God to be the next king of Israel and he was a man of faith a man who stood before the giant the Philistine champion Goliath of Gath and he fought him not he came before him not with sword or spear but in the name of the Lord he knew that the Lord would defend his people that David would be able to stand by faith and be victorious, and he was. And David went before the people with bravery, and he went before the king in humility, and he sought to live his life with purity, and yet it wasn't enough. It wasn't enough to earn Saul's favor He had the love of the people, he had the love of Jonathan, he had the love of his wife, but he did not have the love of Saul, and Saul hated him, he was jealous, and he pursued after him with murderous thoughts. And even after Jonathan sought to reconcile David to Saul, and he sought to reason with his father, it became clear that it was not going to be enough, that Saul was going to pursue after him until he had taken David's life and so David was cast out, cast away from the people of Israel that loved him, cast away from Jonathan, his friend who loved him, cast away from his wife who loved him. How do you handle it? When you do everything right, there's nothing wrong in your, in your mind or your heart that you can be aware of, and yet it just doesn't work out. Everything is turned against you. When we look at David in this passage, we see a response that is all too familiar for us. Because I think what we see in this passage is that David begins, his faith begins to slip. He begins to compromise. He begins to doubt. And he begins to consider whether or not this God who has been his God is a faithful God. In fact, as he's been cast away and is on the run from the people who love him, believe that here he begins to consider where he, whether he is running from the God who loves him. And beloved, isn't that the case for us all too often? But when God approaches us, when He reveals these things to us, when He holds them up for us as an example, beloved, it's not to tear us down or to make us feel bad about ourselves. It is to serve as a warning. It is to reclaim our hearts, is to encourage us of his grace. And that's what we have to see throughout this passage is that even though David would flee, even though we would flee, the Lord will not ever let his, his children get away. He, like a, like a good shepherd, he pursues, he provides, he protects, he's promised to do so. And he is ever faithful. Now, this passage. Uh, two scenes, two settings, two different individuals that David is interacting with, and that's how we're going to look at the passage. First, we see David with the priest of God at Nob, and then we see him with the king of the Philistines at Gath. And in these two circumstances, these two situations, we see David's faith begin to falter. And it begins with this situation at Nob and Ahimelech, the priest. And what we see is that David is willing to lie to his priest. So David left the presence of Jonathan. Jonathan bid him peace, and and David went to this city of Nob, which was just a couple miles south of where he was. And Nob seems to have become the city of priests, is what it's called in chapter You might remember in the beginning of 1 Samuel, the tabernacle of God was in Shiloh. And that's where Samuel went and Eli the priest was in Shiloh. But then there was that battle where they fought against the Philistines and the Philistines captured the ark. Well, the Philistines appeared to have gone beyond that that point and went all the way to Shiloh and destroyed Shiloh. And the, the priests moved their base of operations apparently to Nob. Probably the tabernacle was there too, even though the Ark of the Covenant ended up in a town called kiriath Jerum until the time when David became king. And David comes to Nob, and Ahimelech, the priest, comes out to meet him, and he is trembling. Ahimelech is afraid. And Ahimelech must have known that something was amiss. Perhaps he knew that Saul was seeking to kill David. Saul wasn't necessarily, wasn't particularly trying to hide his animosity and his hatred towards David. And Himelech came out and he said, Why why are you here? Why, why are you alone? And beloved, this was the priest of God. This was a, a man set apart by God to minister to his people. In, in many ways, much of his role paralleled or overlapped with the role of a pastor. The prophet Micah said, the lips of a priest should guard knowledge and people should seek instruction from his mouth for he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. But that's not why David was there. He wasn't seeking counsel. He wasn't seeking prayer. He wasn't seeking instruction. And instead, when he Saw the trembling priest, and perhaps he eyed out of the corner of his eye this Doeg, the Edomite, Edomite, an enemy of God. Now the chief shepherd of over Saul's flocks, David, already consumed by fear of the pursuit of Saul's, now overcome by his fear. And his response is to lie, to make up a story. He said, "Oh well, the king he sent me on this secret mission, and I'm not supposed to tell anybody about it. And I'm going to meet up with with the other men. I just haven't done that yet." But, Ahimelech, do you have any food? Do you have any rations? We're going to need some food for the journey. Now, David coming to Nob, coming to this place where the priests were, he would have known that there was food there. It would have been like one of us going to the back of the cafeteria after worship and scrounging around for communion, bread and wine, because this was most likely the Sabbath. Sabbath. And the priests were responsible for what was called the bread of the presence, the holy bread, the show bread. Leviticus chapter 24 commanded the priests to bring in 12 loaves of bread into the holy place, right in front of the Holy of Holies. And there was a golden table, and they were to arrange these 12 loaves of bread every Sabbath day. And every Sabbath day, they were to bring in hot, fresh bread and replace the old bread. And they would bring the old bread out, and then the priests would eat That bread, that was their bread for their nourishment. That's what the law commanded, was the priests were to eat it in a holy place. So David knew that there was likely to be bread there. Probably came on the Sabbath. And that's exactly what was there. Ahimelech said, well, I have no common bread, but I do have the holy bread, which you can have if the men have kept themselves from women. Now, Ahimelech's response is interesting it's interesting because there were two ceremonial laws that were at play in this particular situation. The first was what I just mentioned: is that this food, this bread, was for the priests to eat. None but the priests were to eat it. But they were to eat it in a holy place. They were to be holy and, 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 and ritually clean. And Ahimelech, but preserves that holy aspect. He says, he seems to overlook the fact that it's for the priests, but instead he says, well, you can have it as long as the the men have kept themselves from women. Now, uh, ritual cleanness, uh, people could become unclean for all sorts of different reasons, and sexual intercourse was one such cause for ritual uncleanness. That's not to say that there was anything unclean about the act itself. Sexual intimacy is a gift from God, which is for the the, the confines of the covenantal relationship of marriage, which God has given between one man and one woman. But, but even that, that good act would make a person unclean. And so himlech said, well, you can have this bread, but as long as you've kept yourselves from women, you must be clean. And David says, well, of course we have. We do that every time. Well, what, what should we take from this passage what should we take from this confusing interaction between Ahimelech and David? Well, you may know that the Lord Jesus Christ referred to this very instance. Jesus was walking with his disciples. It was the Sabbath. Once again, they were walking through the grain fields. His disciples were hungry. There were these grain, stalks of grain, and they plucked the stalks of grain, and they rubbed them in their hands, and they ate them. And the Pharisees who were also there said, hey, Jesus, your, your disciples are breaking the law. And Jesus said, well, you know, David ate the holy bread, and that was breaking the law. What about that? And he said, if you knew what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned an innocent man. But understand this, he said, the the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. What was he saying? He was saying that Ahimelech, as the priest was the rightful owner, the rightful eater of that holy bread. And the law required that only Ahimelech, the priest, should be eating that bread. But out of mercy for David, David had this need, this hunger, out of the mercy of the priest, he was able to override the law. And that mercy trumped the law, that he was able to give the holy bread to David. But at the same time, the rest of the law was kept intact, but David must eat it in a holy way, in a holy fashion. And so also Jesus, as the Lord of the Sabbath, was able to give authority to his disciples to eat on the Sabbath. And so David said to the priests, yeah, we've kept our kept ourselves from women, we do that every time, definitely we have today. And so Himlech gave him the bread. And David turned to leave, and he said, oh... One more thing. Before I leave, uh, you don't happen to have any weapons here, do you? Any swords or a uh, a sword perhaps or a spear? Because we we left in a hurry. We left all our gear back at the house. Brothers and sisters, was this not the, the real reason why David was there? Because David certainly didn't come to the priest to seek counsel. He certainly didn't come for instruction or prayer or any such thing. And he could have gotten bread in a lot of different places. But there was one treasure, one prize that was there in Nob that was nowhere else. And Himlech said, well, there is one, only one thing that we have here, and that's the sword of Goliath, the Philistine, whom you struck down. It's over there. It's wrapped in a cloth. You can, I mean, if you want that, you can have that. And that sword, David had, of course, taken from Goliath after he beat him. He had used it to cut off the giant's head and he brought it and he put it into his tent. We don't know how it got from his tent. He probably gave it to the priests at some point in the intervening chapters, but David never seemed to forget the feel, feel of that Philistine weapon. And he said to the, the priest, Yeah, there's none like that one. Give that to me. And as he took the sword from behind the ephod and he unwrapped the cloth, his eyes glowed. As he now held the sword, this Philistine sword, this man who at one point in his, the height of his faith was willing to say, I come to you not with sword or spear, but in the name of the Lord, he is now eagerly grabbing hold of this weapon of the world. And with that, he left the presence of the priest. From there, he went on to the town of Gath, the Philistine town of Gath. And there we see David attempting to align himself or to fit in with the world. I say attempt because, as we saw, that he fails. Now, it's hard for us to even conceive what David was even thinking of why he would go to Gath. What reasonable explanation there could have been for him to go to Gath, the city of his arch enemies, the Philistines. It was was insane. Uh, If he expected them to recognize him, what did he expect? Some kind of traitor's welcome as he came through the gates as though, oh, this is Saul's lieutenant you know, Maybe he's crossed over and he's going to help us now and he's going to give us some juicy intel on the Israelite operations so we can defeat them in battle. Was that it? Or did he somehow think that he was going to slip into Gath unnoticed? David, the slayer of their hometown hero, Goliath of Gath. David, the one whom they sang songs about. Saul son- killed his thousands, but David his 10,000 Philistines. David, who had killed and circumcised 200 Philistines, he was public enemy number one. David, who now is strolling through the gate, and the elders of Gath see Goliath's identifiable sword on his side. What in the world was he thinking? Well, they seized him and they brought him to the king, and they said, and they outed him, Here's is this not David? You see what they say? Is this not David, the king of the land? Isn't that interesting? The Lord had already caused David's renown of his authority and his kingly power to become known even before. His kingship was consummated. They said, Is not David the king of the land? Did they not sing about him? Of one another, David has struck down his thousands, or Saul has thousands, and David has ten thousands. And says "And David was much afraid. He took these words to heart. And he changed his behavior. He acted crazy. Now this may have been the first sane thing he did all day. Because Achish, the king, he was probably thinking to himself, "What in what in the world has brought you here? Certainly, you must know that I want to kill you." But then David starts raving like a madman, and he starts doing what apparently insane people would do. He starts scrawling graffiti on the gate of the door of the gate, and he starts letting drool slobber down his beard. And Akish says, "Okay, this makes sense. He's gone. He's gone mad. That's the only explanation for why he's here." David had been insane in this whole pursuit to somehow fit into Gath, and now he's simply playing the part. And Achish turns to his men and says, Why are you bringing this guy to me? Do you not see the boy's gone mad? He's loco. Do I lack madmen? That's, I think, one of the funniest passages in all of Scripture. Do I lack madmen that you would bring this madman to me here? Just get him out of my presence. And David was set free. Now, beloved, as we look at this passage, uh, just three, three points of application that I think we, we want to take out of this, this story, and the, the first is just the honest look that the Lord gives us about the fact that our faith can falter and sometimes fail. Not many of us can claim to have a faith that David exhibited, a faith to be a young man among men who would go without armor, without weapons, and stand before a giant who has been taunting the armies of the Lord, has been causing fear among the most stout-hearted warriors, a man who would stand up, And be victorious in the name of the Lord. But notice how quickly, how suddenly, his faith turns to fear. he, He sought to live with faithfulness. And it didn't work out. And he was cast out. And how quickly he begins to allow his fears to overcome him. And to consume him. And beloved, that is a present reality for us as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. We should be encouraged as we see this, that the Lord would show us this in David, so that when we grow sad at the fact that we see it in our own hearts, we might know that there is hope for us who have faltering and weak faith. Beloved, the glory of the gospel is that we are not saved by our faith. We are saved by grace through faith. Our faith is like our fingers or our hands or our arms that are seeking to grab hold of the grace of God in Christ Jesus. But beloved, we face a real adversary we face true afflictions we face expectations that are unmet because we are not in control and those things can weigh us down and our fingers grow weak and our hands grow sweaty and our arms start to shake and we start to slip and beloved if were are not for the grace of God in Jesus Christ and his eternal purposes we would fall we would fall we've sung this song, the youth group kids know it. When I fear my faith will fail, Christ will hold me fast. When the tempter would prevail, he will hold me fast. I could never keep my hold through life's fearful path. For my love is often cold, he must hold me fast. Beloved, I don't know what you think about that song, but that song does not excite you with the power and love of God I assert to you that you are clinging to your own strength and your own faithfulness to keep you in the love of Christ. And if David can fall, if he can slip, so can you. The Apostle Paul and all the the biblical writers urge us to keep ourselves in the love of Christ, to be vigilant. The Apostle Paul said, Let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. Beloved, if you are standing in the love of Christ, praise God, but cling tightly. Don't wander. Don't give in to the fears and the afflictions. And Notice, if you will, beloved, notice the situation that brings about David's faith slippage, if you will. It's his fears, fears which send him on the run. It's the fears that overcome him, and when he's on his own, beloved, we are in. It's how, how it feels, isn't it? As we read in that Psalm 73, we look at the wicked, we look at the world, always at ease. They increase in riches, whereas we face affliction and pain and difficulty all the day long. We feel like we're alone. Like, what? It, Lord, are you doing anything? Are you watching over me? Are my prayers just hitting the ceiling? What, what's, what's happening? And the insanity of our reaction often is to say, I feel alone, I am alone, I'm going to doubt, and I'm going to make myself truly alone. I am going to jettison this faith That I have, rather than running to the only source of security, running to the Lord in our fears, we tend to run from the Lord and hide. And, beloved, it's when He is on His own that He begins to compromise, that He begins to consider to align Himself with the world in this insane turn of mind. Beloved, I think that this this intent to go it alone is the silent killer of the American church today. It is the the killer eyes, if you will, our independence, our individualism, our isolationism. We want to do it alone. We want to have an eye faith. Like an iPhone, we want to have an eye faith. I'm going to do it my way. By myself, that's all I need. Beloved, I cannot say this more emphatically, or more directly. We were meant to be in fellowship with one another. We are called to keep each other in the love of Christ. All of us have had periods of time where we've wandered from the Lord, I would assert. Times where we drift, where times where we go away from the fellowship of God's people. Let me ask you, in the times where you have been apart from the fellowship of God's people, when you've been on your own, have you ever found yourself growing in godliness and in closeness with the Lord Jesus Christ apart from God's people? Isn't it true that the closer we are with the Lord, the more we are we yearn to be with one another? And by being with in fellowship with one another, that is where faith and hope and joy is cultivated in unity and in fellowship with the lord beloved that's no coincidence that is god's design beloved are you wandering are you have you have you begun to let your faith flounder has it begun to be weakened beloved hear god's encouragement to remain in Christ. But more than that, beloved, we as a body have an obligation to bear with the failings and the weaknesses of one another. We have an obligation to help keep one another in the love of Christ. The Apostle Paul said, we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. The writer of Hebrews said, exhort one another every day as long as it's called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Beloved, who needs to be admonished? Who needs to be encouraged? Who needs to be helped? That applies to every one of us here. Whether you are one who needs to be admonished and encouraged or helped or you need to be looking to your brothers and sisters to say, how can we remain in fellowship? Beloved, this is how God preserves his people. It's through you and me. We must do so. So the first point is that we we need to take heed lest we would fall. We need to be aware that our faith can fail and falter. But the second great point, the glorious point, beloved, is that the steadfast love of our God never fails. It never fails for his children. Beloved, I don't know if you noticed this, but God continued to provide and protect David. Even through his, his faithlessness, God provided bread and nourishment, daily needs to David when he went to Nob, even through David's lying and his deceit. And God pro- protected David at Gath. Even though he had entrapped himself with his own foolishness, God was faithful to protect David. And how different was God's dealing with David than it was with Saul? When Saul turned his back on the Lord, the Lord let him go. The Lord cast him out. The Lord rejected him. Not so with David. Not so with David. Even despite David's folly and his sin and his deception, the Lord loved him and he protected him. Oh, beloved, this is is the love of our God. This is a God whose mercy and grace surpasses, is greater than all of our sins, greater than every one of your sins. You may wander from him, he will not let you go far away. He will always be right behind you. Like a good shepherd, he is always pursuing after you, always providing for you. Have you ever lacked anything that you needed? Have you ever not been protected? He has sustained you. He has loved you so that he would restore you to himself. My beloved, this is for us and for David, this is our hope, which is ours in Jesus Christ. This is because of God's covenant of grace for us, his covenant to be our God, to sustain us, which is ours in Christ Jesus. Oh, beloved, we have been promised not just daily bread, but eternal bread, bread that brings life. The Lord Jesus Christ, the very bread of life, the one who is the Lord of the Sabbath, the Lord who gives out of his abundance, gives us not just bread that We eat today and we need to eat again tomorrow, but bread that satisfies, that nourishes. And Jesus, he gives out of the fullness of everything that is his. He said, all that the father has is mine. And when the spirit comes, he will give it to you. He said, my dear flock, it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. It is his, as the Lord of the kingdom, to give it to us as objects of his mercy. Everything that we need, every spiritual blessing, all things in Christ Jesus are ours. And of course, he protects us. He who, the Lord Jesus Christ, who was claiming to be the good shepherd, the one who would lay down his life to protect the sheep. You know what they said to him? This man's got a demon. He's insane. He doesn't know what he's talking about. And they put him to death so that he could lay down his life for you and for me. He gave up his life. He was exposed, shamefully treated, that we might be protected. That is the hope of the gospel, beloved, that it's a gospel that we don't deserve, and yet it has been given to us, it's been lavished to us. Oh, beloved, cling to this gospel. Cling to Christ, or rather let him cling to you he will never let go. And the third and final thing that I want to point out is that the father our father uses these consequences of our fears and our faithlessness to teach us of his grace and his glory. We don't see it actually in our passage, but this situation where David was in Gath and he was ensnared David wrote not one but two psalms about that instance. We sang one before the sermon, and we're going to sing the other one after the sermon. These are some of the most glorious sermons or psalms that are in the Psalter. Before the incident or when he was captured in Psalm 56... He said, be gracious to me, O God, for man tramples on me. All day long an attacker oppresses me. My enemies trample me on all all day long. When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. In God, whose word I praise, in God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? That was his musing as he's ensnared. In the second psalm, Psalm 34 which is after he's been released, after God's been gracious in the midst of his insanity. He's, God's been gracious to David. And David says this. Listen to David's words. He said, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me and he delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord like no good thing. Come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is there who desires life and loves many days so that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil. Do good. Seek peace. Pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears toward their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them Out of all their troubles, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted. He saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones. Not one of them is broken. Affliction will slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the life of his servants, none of those who take refuge in him. Would be condemned. Oh, beloved, that is what David learned. That is what he sought to teach us. That is what the Spirit seeks to teach us. Have you learned the grace, the power, and the glory, and the satisfaction of our God who loves us in spite of our folly, who loves us with a strong and powerful love? Oh, beloved, hear and be glad. Put your faith in God. Put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. He is ever faithful. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you. Thank you that you permitted David to go through this perilous journey so that you could show your power to preserve him in the midst of even his folly. Thank you that you give us hope when we see our hearts going astray, when we begin to doubt. Thank you that you bring us back. You won't let us go far. You know exactly where we are, and you keep us safe and secure. Our Lord, help us to trust in you and to rejoice and to magnify and to worship you with all of our being, because you are our God, and you have given us your Son as our Savior. We pray these things in his name. Amen.